Father, we thank you for the good news of the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ. The reality that our story has been rewritten. We are those who have passed from death into life. We are those who were once slaves to sin, and we are now free from sin. We are free from the penalty of sin and death. We are free from the power of sin in our lives. We thank you for the indwelling presence of your Holy Spirit, the resurrection power of your Son, Jesus Christ, who gives us what we need to overcome anything that the enemy throws our way. So, Father, as we come to your word together this morning and as we consider what it means to walk in holiness and righteousness, as, as we are reminded of the trials and the temptations that we will face, help us to remember Jesus. Help us to remember who we are in him. Help us to remember everything that you have promised to us. And by your Holy Spirit within us, Lord, help us to walk in power and holiness and righteousness and victory in your name. So, Father, today will you speak to us words that will edify your church and bring glory to your name. Will you sanctify us in the truth? Your word is truth. Speak it to our hearts this morning. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen, amen. You can go ahead and have a seat, and as you find your seats this morning, I'm going to invite you to turn with me in your Bible. James chapter 1 is where we'll be together this morning looking at verses 12 through 15. If you're new with us, if you're our guest, my name's Taylor Burgess and I serve here at Cross as lead pastor. We're honored to have you worshiping with us together this morning. And what our church family's been doing for the last several weeks is we've started walking verse by verse through the book of James. We started this the Sunday after Labor Day and Lord willing, this is going to take us all the way up to Christmas Eve morning, so pretty much through the rest of the year. And today we're looking at James 1, verses 12 through 15, just picking right back up where we left off last week. And I'm going to dive straight into things today. Um, up to this point in the letter, James has been writing primarily about the external trials that we face as followers of Jesus. And then as we get to verse 12 this morning, James starts to shift gears from the trials that we experience on the outside to the temptation that we experience on the inside. As believers in Jesus Christ, we don't just experience trials, we experience temptations that are prompted by those trials. Those of you who were here with us in the earliest days of our church, I have a really good friend named Chris Dew who came and um, preached a couple times for us. And if you don't know Chris, if you weren't here during that time, Chris has j just a phenomenal testimony. He was born with a severe speech impediment. He was a stutterer his whole life, struggled to carry on any type of basic conversation. And, and this led to some challenges for him in his life. And so he made a decision early on. He was just going to try to extract as much pleasure as he possibly could out of this world. And so uh, very early on in his life, Chris became a heroin addict and just over a decade ago, he checked into rehab as a 90-pound heroin addict. But during that point in time, he came to faith in Jesus Christ. God miraculously healed him of his speech impediment. Chris now travels. He preaches the gospel. He really doesn't stutter. It's, it's amazing. He's actually going to be planting a church uh, in the near future. And, and more than that, the Lord has delivered him from his addiction. He's been able to travel and speak and minister to thousands of people worldwide sharing his story. And, and something that Chris shared with us about his addiction the last time he came and preached with us is always stuck with me. When Chris talked about addiction, he said, I didn't have an addiction problem. I had an emptiness problem with an addiction solution. 
When it comes to facing temptation, you and I face a temptation. And the temptation we face with temptation is the temptation to believe that the real problem exists on the outside when in fact the real problem exists on the inside. We're not just helpless victims of our external circumstances. Primarily, temptation begins not with what we do, but with who we are. And and man, whatever temptation it is that we face in our life, whatever struggle it is that we're navigating, sometimes it can be so overwhelming that, that it feels like it's impossible to make our way through whatever it is we're feeling, whatever it is we're experiencing in that moment. But what James shows us this morning in these verses is that when temptation to sin overcomes us, we can trust the Savior who has overcome temptation. When temptation to sin overcomes us, we can trust the Savior who has overcome temptation. The battle against temptation, overcoming temptation, it doesn't fundamentally begin with what we do. It fundamentally begins with who we are, what God has done for us, and what he gives us in the face of temptation. And that's what James shows us this morning. So from James 1, let's read beginning with verse 12. James writes, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So what we see first this morning from verse 12 is that we can trust God to be faithful in the face of temptation. We can trust God to be faithful in the face of temptation. James 1.12 is, is kind of like a double swinging door that opens and closes in both directions. Um, Dustin Nally touched on verse 12 last week because what's happening in verse 12, James is simultaneously wrapping up his thoughts from verses 1 through 11, and he's also changing subjects for verses 13 to 15, and he does this by drawing on some really familiar language. He says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast. Now, we've seen that word before, Right? We go all the way back to verse four. Verse four showed us that trials, the the tribulations that you and I inevitably face as followers of Jesus, they produce steadfastness. They produce endurance. And the full effect of steadfastness and endurance is that one day we will be made perfect and complete, lacking and nothing. So here again in verse 12, James writes, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. And then here's where the door swings in the other direction. He writes, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. The word that is used for test here in verse 12, this is different than what we saw earlier. The word for test in verse 12, if we go to the original language, it's actually the same word that's used for tempt that we'll see in verses 13 through 15. And what James shows us right out of the gate here is that the battle against temptation begins with who we are in Christ and what God has promised to those who belong to him. Verse 12, he says, blessed. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Those of you who were with us when we studied the Sermon on the Mount a couple years ago, we spent several weeks in the Beatitudes. And what word do all of the Beatitudes start out with? Blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So here's James drawing on that same word that Jesus used in the Sermon on the Mount. And that word blessed really just means essentially to have received approval. It means that person who is blessed is someone who has received the approval of God. 
And, and so whenever we talk about battling temptation, that this is so important for us to understand our identity. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are not people who are fighting for God's approval. We're people who are fighting from God's approval. If you are in Jesus, you have God's approval through your faith in Jesus Christ. And, and so we start out the battle temptation remembering first and foremost who we are. Whenever we're feeling drawn out into temptation, whenever it's pulling at us, whenever we feel overwhelmed by it, it's in that moment we can remind ourselves, I don't have to do this because I already have everything I need in Jesus. And it's from that place of satisfaction in Jesus Christ, from the overflow of that satisfaction that we can say no in the face of temptation. So we have faith in our position as those who are blessed. But then James goes on to show us that we can also have faith in the promise of God's word. This is what he says for those who are blessed, those who are in Christ. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So we have faith in our position, and we also have faith in God's promise. When we have stood the test, when we have made it through temptation, we will one day receive the crown of life, which is something that God has promised to us. So overcoming temptation, it begins with knowing your position, and it begins with knowing God's promise. And in either case, whether we are facing a trial, an external circumstance, or whether we're facing temptation, which is an internal challenge, whichever one we're facing, James shows us we should face this with an eternal perspective. We face all of this with keeping our eyes on Jesus. So we don't draw a hard line between trials and temptations. We're not really talking about two totally separate subjects here because what we see in verse 12 is that there's an overlap between the two. And let, let me just kind of lay this out, help us distinguish what is the difference between a trial and a temptation. What we've seen as we study the book of James is that we will face various trials as believers. God will permit challenges in our life that strengthen our faith and produce endurance. And that's gonna happen until we see Jesus face to face. And, and trials ultimately will be used for for our good. So um, the office that my dad worked at when he was growing up, they had a vacant office right next to his, and this office had a treadmill in it. So when I was a kid, and I would go to my dad's office, uh, sometimes I would go in the next room, and I would run on this treadmill. And, and, and that's a good thing, right? Like running produces endurance. That's a trial. Like running on the treadmill, that's, that's a trial. I'm growing, I'm getting stronger, I'm getting faster. Exercise is good for us. That's a trial, and that can be good. The temptation is to jack the speed of that thing all the way up. And, and so there was a time I was, I was at my dad's office and I'd been running on the treadmill and I was like, you know, I feel like I'm pretty fast. Um, I'm gonna try to hit this thing at full speed. So I turned the speed of the treadmill all the way up. I think it went all the way up to like 20. Turned it all the way up. I had my feet spread out and I was like, I'm just gonna hop right on this thing, like running, you know, with my feet going already and, and, and I'll be fine. And so I let go of the railings, I jump on it and man, it shot me out like a cannon into the back wall. And the treadmill was only like this far away from the back of the wall so I was like, I was stuck behind it. I was like skinning up my elbows, my knees, my ankles. And my dad came running in with that simultaneous like concern, but also you are an idiot. Like why, why are you in this situation? Okay, so, so the trial is, is running on the treadmill. The temptation is to do it at full speed. And this is how we need to distinguish trials and temptations. We will face trials of various kinds and we have to be aware when we face those trials those trials will prompt temptation. So here's, here's a trial. Trial is financial hardship. 
And then the temptation is to question God's provision. The trial is physical illness. The temptation is to question God's goodness. The trial is job loss, and the temptation is to question the sovereignty of God. The trial is relational strife, so your temptation is gossip, slander, and character assassination. The trial is marital stress, and so the temptation is to ignore your spouse or give them the cold shoulder. The trial is that you feel sexually unfulfilled, and so the temptation is to indulge pornography or pursue an affair or indulge the desires of your flesh. We will face trials of various kinds, and those trials will prompt temptations. And so in those moments, there's a choice that every one of us is faced with that we have to make. In this moment, will I act in faith, or will I act based on what I feel? And God calls us to act in faith, to have confidence in our position. We are blessed. We don't have to do this because we have everything we need in Jesus. And the promise of knowing that as we persevere, we will one day receive the crown of life. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 through 11, Peter writes it like this. He says, be sober-minded. Be watchful. Everyone say watchful. watchful. The, the idea here, man, is just keep your head on a swivel. Keep your guard up. And here's why. He says, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So what's our response? Resist him. You understand, like, Satan just wants attention more than anything else, right? Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So when you face temptation, you can have faith in your position. Your position is that you are blessed, you have received God's approval, and you can have faith in God's promise that you will receive the crown of life. So whatever temptation it is we're facing, we can trust that God is going to see us through to the other side. But where exactly does temptation come from? We can trust that God will be faithful to us, but where does this come from? How does it originate? How does it flesh itself out in our lives? This is what James says in verses 13 through 15. He says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. If you're, you're like an underline things in your Bible type of person, I would just really encourage you to underline those words by his own desire. By his own desire. It's important that we hang on to that here for a second. Verse 15, he goes on to say, then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. So we, we see really just the evolution of sin here. It starts with desires that are in our hearts, desires that have been distorted because of the ongoing presence of sin. And then when we leave those desires unchecked, when they're fully grown, they, they, when that's conceived, it leads to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, when it just has free reign in our lives, ultimately it leads us to death. So beautiful promise in verse 12 that we need to hang on to. We can trust God to be faithful in the face of temptation. But here's where we gotta be careful. Second we cannot blame God for our failure in the face of temptation. God will be faithful in the face of temptation, and we cannot blame him for our failure in the face of temptation. Let's make sure we differentiate here. 
God will allow trials that strengthen our faith and produce endurance. God will never lead us into temptation and sin. That doesn't come from God. The testimony of Scripture is just clear from start to finish. We are responsible for the sinning, and God is responsible for the saving. This is why Jesus, when he gives us the Lord's Prayer, he gives us a series of prayers, and he tells us to pray these things because every statement of the Lord's Prayer is something that God has promised to do. And so when Jesus teaches us to pray, lead us not into temptation, he teaches us to pray that because the answer to that is always yes. God will never lead us into temptation. James shows us here, God himself cannot be tempted with evil, and, and, and God himself tempts no one with evil. So it is God who leads us out of temptation and never God who leads us in. And this is a really important nuance for us to see here. God is perfectly sinless, and you and I are completely sinful. That's the distinction between us and him. He can't be tempted with evil, and he tempts no one with evil. So where does it come from? Well, let's read again verse 14 to make sure we understand how it is that this develops. He says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Now, this language of luring, this is fishing language, right? And this is Beaufort, South Carolina, God's country, where we do some, just, who fishes in the room? Just, just go ahead and throw them up. So it's like, this is language that we understand, right? We, we understand the process of, you know, baiting a hook and, and casting and, and reeling back in. And that's the type of language that James is using here. But I want us to pay attention to how he says this, because if you're like me, for a long time, I had a misunderstanding of how temptation actually works. The way I long thought temptation worked is that, you know, you and I are kind of like fish in the water, and then here comes Satan. He's got his rod, he's got his reel, he's got the lure, he's got the hook, and he's baited it, and then he tosses it in, and I'm just swimming, and now it's available to me. I think it's something good, and so I take a bite, and now all of a sudden he's got me hooked. And, and for a long time, that that's how I thought that temptation worked, but that's not what James says. James doesn't say that we are lured and enticed by Satan. He says we're lured and enticed by our own desires. So church, I understand, like, yes, Satan will be the one who oftentimes baits the hook, but you and I aren't just the fish taking the bait. You and I are the fishermen who are casting the rod. We're looking for it. It starts with us. I think it's the NIV that actually translates this of his own evil desire. And I think that's an appropriate translation because even the things that we don't want to feel, even the things we don't desire to feel, the things that we wish were not within us, even if we're not acting on those things, we have to recognize any desire we experience that's out of step with the truth that God's revealed in his word is a desire that has been born because of the ongoing presence of sin. Sin distorts our desires. It disorders our desires. It makes us want to desire things that we should not desire. And while we don't control what tempts us, we do control what we do with the temptation when we face it. And it's so important for us to see our responsibility. James shows us we are way more complicit in sin and temptation than most of us are willing to admit. We're not just the fish, we're also the fishermen. This is the game we like to play, though, is, is we like to think the real problem is not inside of me. The real problem is outside of me. The problem is all these people around me. 
Problem's all, this job that I have. The problem is my spouse. The problem is this. The problem is that. The problem is my upbringing. The problem is the house I grew up in. The problem is my relationships. And, and it's those things that are causing me to be this, this way. Just give you just a silly illustration here. I'm gonna say something that's gonna make all of you feel very, very sad for me and my family. Um, Emily and I spent most of the last week in Cancun. And um, somebody had to go, guys. And we said, we said yes, Lord, we will, we will go. Here I am, send me. This was a pastors and wives retreat that we signed up for about a year ago. Acts 29 is our family of churches. So about 600 pastors and wives, we were together. Um, Dave Eatman, who's on our staff, he and his wife Lori, they're actually still there. And guys, I don't think Dave and Lori are coming home. Like, I, I, we may never see them again. I think they've just like let their house and their possessions. I think it's all free now. If you just want to go, just want to go take it. And they're still down there. And, 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 you know, this was an all-inclusive trip, which is always fun because you pay for it on the front end, which is also equally dangerous, especially when it comes to food, right? Because when you go, if you've done a cruise or resort or anything where you've paid for everything up front, everything just kind of goes out the window. Like you're not thinking about swiping your card and what's the budget, like it's already paid for. And, and so everywhere you look is stuff you've already paid for. And the way I view this situation is it's already paid for. It's like we paid for this. It would be very poor stewardship for me to not eat all of the stuff that's around me. Like I, I need to do this. And so the first night that we were there, we held this reception out by the pool, a welcome reception. And we were all out there. I'm just hanging out. Mind you, we, we've been eating pretty much like all day long. And I'd had like a full dinner. This is like 10 o'clock East Coast time and way past our regular bedtime. I wasn't intending to eat anything at all. But then the resort staff, they come walking around with these trays with, with hors d'oeuvres. And the first round, I was like, nah, I'm good. Good. But then the next server came up with a, uh, with a tray of dessert hors d'oeuvres. There's always room for dessert. And I was like, I'll, I'll try one of these. It had fruit on it. So I was like, that's healthy. I'm eating that. And, uh, but it was like this little tart. It had fruit and whipped cream and all sorts of deliciousness on it. And I ate one. I was like, definitely going to need another one of this. And so tray comes by again, and I grab one. And then the tray comes by again, and I grab two more. And then the tray uh, comes by a few more times, and each time I get it, and we're all standing at the table. I was like, all right, I'm done. I'm good. And as soon as I said that, the tray came by me again. And I was like, one more. Like, let, let's, let's go. And, and Dave goes, I thought you were done. I was like, well, Dave, you know, they keep bringing the tray to me. I just assume that I need to say yes. And, and is, is that not what we do with temptation? Like, the, the real issue is, well, you brought it out in front of me. Like the real issue is you made it available to me and, and I just can't help myself now. So instead of dealing, like with the real issue is I love carbs, right? Like the real issue is I don't have self-control in, in this moment. And instead what I wanna do is I want to blame my external circumstances on my internal condition. And Jesus flips that whole equation on his head in the Sermon on the Mount. He says sin's not just an action of your body. It's the condition of your heart. He says, it's, you, you say, okay, you've not killed anybody, great, but you've hated people. You've murdered them in your heart. You say, man, I've, I've never committed adultery, but man, you've lusted. And it starts in your heart. Our desires are disordered because of sin. Our desires are corrupted because of sin. Jerry Bridges has a great book called The Pursuit of Holiness. I know uh, many of you have read this. As I, I led a men's group through this a few years ago. And he writes in this book, it is our own evil desires that lead us into temptation. We may think we merely respond to outward temptations that are presented to us, but the truth is our evil desires are constantly searching out temptations to satisfy their insatiable lusts. 
Church, this is so important today because you and I are living in a world right now that in some very, very unhealthy ways embraces a heavy victim mentality. It's a world that wants you to believe you are completely helpless victim of your external circumstances. And listen, we should make no mistake here. Like, we definitely don't want to overcorrect. Like, we absolutely need to be aware. There, there are things that could be happening in your body chemically, biologically. There could be experiences that you have had relationally, emo- emotionally violent things that you've been through that are having severely negative impacts on you that make your struggle with sin all the more complicated. And, and in some ways, we, we are acting and responding in ways that, that someone really legitimately might not actually have control over. And it's like, we, 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 we have to be aware of these things. But what James shows us here, we've got to make sure we don't overcorrect in the opposite direction, is that yes, while there can be all sorts of external influences or things going on inside of us that are, that are impacting the way we live our lives and, and whether or not we're walking in righteousness or whether or not we're giving the temptation, James is abundantly clear for us the responsibility for our sin lies squarely with us. We cannot continually blame our external circumstances for our internal condition. We submit not just our bodies, we submit our minds and our wills and our desires to be transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, whenever it comes to this particular verse, um, this verse is used a lot today, and I saw it used a lot this past week, and I'll get to that in just a second, um, particularly when it comes to the subject of same-sex attraction. And listen, I, I know as soon as I say those words, like, it, it creates just a, a heightened anxiety in, in the room, and, and it creates questions about, like, okay, where, where are we going with this, and what's, what's happening? And so anytime we, we wade into this subject, I think it's important to acknowledge a couple of things right out of the gate. Um, first and foremost, I think it's always important to acknowledge the ways the church has historically been terrible at, at ministering to those who struggle with same-sex attraction. Um, those, those who've been same-sex attracted, they've been treated historically in the church like this own unique category of sinner. And, and that's, that should break our hearts because w- within those who struggle, like there's, we have to differentiate and understand there's a massive difference between the person who struggles with that but really wishes they didn't struggle with it like actively prays, Lord, take this from me, does not want to act on their desires, is trying to walk in holiness, is trying to walk in righteousness as a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. There's a big difference between that person and the person who's just giving into their desires and living in rebellion against the word of God. And unfortunately, sometimes in the church, even that first person has been told, sorry, your sin's just a little bit different than everybody else's. You know, historically within the church, like the moment somebody talked about that, it was like, hey, there's not a place for you here. And yet somehow you could beat your wife and still be a deacon. And that's a problem. Like you got people who are being honest, like this is my struggle, wish I didn't struggle with this. And yet you got heterosexual people sleeping with people they're not married to all the time. And like there's a place for that person, but not a place for this person. And, and so we have to be so, so careful that we don't create these unbiblical, unique categories of, of sinners. Like every single one of us is struggling with something. So listen, our heart here is that if you are that person, like you're faithfully following Jesus, but you're just like, honestly, that's my struggle. I wish it wasn't my struggle. What I want you to hear is, man, we love you and there's a place for you here. And, and that's not theory for us. Like for seven years, we have come across alongside dozens of brothers and sisters who have, who's, who have told us, like literally, this is the first church we've ever been able to be honest about this and not have the door shut in our face. 
And what they've found here is a community of people who have entered into that with them and been faithful with them and been brothers and sisters alongside them. Not to enable anything, but to walk with them as they battle against what they know is not of the Lord. And, and this, this was uh, especially brought to the forefront over um, the last week. I was gone this last week. I know many of you saw this because several of you emailed me about this. I want to touch on it really, really briefly. Because you know, even within the church, what, where we still have to be careful is, is we absolutely want to engage. We, we absolutely want to come across alongside that person and, and make sure they're not walking that alone. But, but we are, church, in danger of overcorrecting at times. And something that happened in church culture that this past week, this was Andy Stanley, North Point Church in the Atlanta area, a big controversial thing that, that blew up. And, um, and so he, he spoke about this for about 50 minutes last Sunday morning, and I watched the sermon a couple different times this week and really wanted to make sure I was understanding what he was saying and where he was coming at. And, and, and to be fair, there was a lot about the message to be commended. You know, something he repeatedly said in the message was that the church should be the safest place on the planet for people to be honest about their struggle with sexual sin. And again, that, that's not just about same-sex attraction, that's about lust, that's about pornography, that's about everything that's under that umbrella. He said the church should be the safest place for people to be honest about their struggle, and we should all say amen to that. It should all say amen to this, but this is where he goes just a bridge too far. Is, is in the last 10 minutes of the message, he says we have to recognize that while some have just chosen to live a chaste, celibate life or have even pursued marriage, uh, heterosexual marriage, even as they battle those desires. He said we have to recognize that for some people that's not sustainable. And church, that's just where it goes too far. A good response to this throughout the week came from Sam Alberry. If you're not familiar with Sam Alberry, write his name down, go read his stuff. He's such a helpful voice in this because Sam Alberry is a faithful follower of Jesus Christ who himself through his whole life has struggled with same-sex attraction, but he recognizes, hey, that desire is out of step with God's word. He's not acting on those desires. He's not living on those desires. Um, and he, he ministers to those who are going through this and he has just chosen to live his life as uh, in, in celibacy and in, in, in uh, a chaste celibate life. And, and this was his response to Andy Stanley. Again, this is coming from a man who has struggled with same-sex attraction. This was his response to Andy Stanley uh, in Christianity Today this past week. He wrote, I have always been single. On the whole, it has been deeply joyous, but I am not immune from temptation. And when any leader suggests to me that chaste obedience to Christ in singleness is not sustainable, he is saying to me the very same thing that the devil says. What the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10 is that no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Church, understand, God is never the one who leads you into sin. He is always the one who will lead you out. It's one of the, one of the greatest lies that continues to be perpetuated in the church today is that God won't give you more than you can handle. It's nonsense. If it wasn't more than we could handle, then why on, why on earth did Jesus have to come? That's not what the verse says. He says you won't be tempted. He won't be tempted beyond what you're able to handle because God has given us a way and Jesus Christ is that way. Jesus Christ is that way. He, he is the path. He is the one who comes alongside us. 
When we are followers of Jesus Christ, we have living within us the Holy Spirit of God, the resurrection power. And so, listen, there's two different, particularly when it comes to sexual sin of, of all kinds, there, there are two different extremes that we as followers of Jesus should constantly be working to avoid. One extreme is really on the side of ignorance. And, and th- this is ignorance. It's the belief, hey, if I just try harder, if I just read the Bible more, if I just pray more, all of this will magically go away. And, and that's like its own form of prosperity gospel, by the way. I come to Jesus and he'll just take all my problems away. And, and so we want to avoid the extreme of ignorance, but we also want to avoid the extreme of surrender. And that extreme just says, this is just kind of who I am. That's what I'm always gonna be. I'm always gonna struggle with this. It's always gonna be a problem. And listen, here's the reality. Maybe that's true. Like, like maybe you will face the same struggle, the same temptation, but church, don't, don't miss this this morning. We never wave the white flag to sin. We never wave the white flag to sin. An, an empty tomb declares that nothing is too difficult for God. And, and so when we fall on this side of like, well, just kind of always gonna be this way, we deny the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We won't control what tempts us in our lives. Coming to Jesus doesn't mean the temptation's magically gonna go away. What it does mean is that for every temptation we face, God has given us everything we need in giving us his son, Jesus. Hebrews 4, I just wanna read this for us as we close out together this morning. I love the promise here from Hebrews 4. Author of Hebrews says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Listen, let us hold fast our confession. Why? For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, listen, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. God has provided the way out of temptation, and Jesus is that way. He was tempted in every way as we are. This was what was different about Jesus and about us. While you and I desire to give in to the temptation, Jesus liked that desire. Not only did he not commit evil, he didn't desire to commit the evil. And in sending his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth, God sent the only one who was qualified to do what you and I could never do for ourselves. He gave us everything that we needed when he gave us Jesus. He provided the way of escape when he sent to us Jesus. And he's everything that we're going to need in these moments. So please hear my heart in this this morning. No matter what you're struggling with, no matter what temptation you're, you're facing, you are not primarily defined by your struggle. You are defined by your Savior. No matter what you're struggling with, God is not repulsed by you. No matter what you're tempted by, God, God does not put you in, a, in your own unique category. Every single one of us has the same fundamental need. We are sinners who need a Savior, and Jesus is that Savior. And he meets us where we are, regardless of where we are to give us what we need to walk in righteousness and holiness before him. So you bow your heads with me as we close together this morning. In just a second, um, we'll take communion together. 
and we're not qualified to do this on the basis of anything that we've done. We are qualified to do this on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done for us. We can come to God boldly and with confidence. No matter your, your, your past, no matter what you've struggled with, no matter what you're tempted by, no matter what you're wrestling with today, you can come to him with boldness. You are blessed. You have received his approval if you are in Jesus Christ. And listen, if you're not in Christ, if you're not a believer in Jesus today, you can call on his name in faith. Repent of your sins, turn from your sins and freely receive a gift of salvation through faith in the name of his son, Jesus. And the power you receive through the Holy Spirit is the power that you need not just to be free from the penalty of sin and death, but to be freed from the power of sin in your life today. So Father, we come now to remember Jesus, to remember his broken body, to remember his shed blood on our behalf on the cross, the one who perfectly endured every trial, the one who perfectly endured every temptation in a way that we never could. Thank you that we can freely receive his victory today. So God, remind us now of your grace. Help us to boldly approach your throne as we remember your mercy. 